0: Interesting. As I was coming down this morning with Liz in the car, uh, she said, "Oh, she said you've spoken on this subject before." Which is always kind of a little bit unnerving, perhaps. And I said, "Oh, really?" Hoping it wasn't six months ago. And she said, "Oh, no, no." She said, "It was. Uh, it was when we were still in Seaford." I said, still in Seaford. I mean, that's at least 25 years ago, so it's probably 30-plus years ago that I spoke on it before. And I said, well, I don't remember that. She says, well, I do. So I thought, well, now that's I suppose, is good, isn't it? I mean, she remembered it at least, so I had no idea. Which is really quite annoying, actually, because had I known I'd spoken on it before... I could have just got my notes out and used them again. As it is, I spent half the week preparing. So I was slightly annoyed, really. And when I get back, I shall be able to see whether what I said last time is the same as what I'm going to say this time, or whether my position has changed. Although Liz may even remember that, I don't know. So we're going to read Psalm 77, and the title this morning is Talking to Yourself. Psalm 77, yeah, we all do it, Talking to Yourself. Psalm 77 and verse 1, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands, and my soul refused to be comforted. I remembered you, O God, and I groaned. I mused, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart mused and my spirit inquired Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Then I thought, to this I will appeal, the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is so great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The skies resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea. Your way through the mighty waters. Though your footprints were not seen, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Father. We thank you for this psalmist who wrote these words many years ago when his circumstances were difficult, and he was finding life hard, when he couldn 't understand what was going on around him, when he was fearful for the future, when he felt that perhaps you had forgotten him and neglected him. And he felt he couldn't communicate with you clearly and couldn't get through to you. Lord, when he wrote those words, he had no idea that we, several centuries later, would be reading them again and thinking about them. Because of the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, you are able to take words that he wrote then and still make them relevant and useful and applicable to us today. We ask, Lord Jesus, that through your Holy Spirit speak to our hearts now and help us to learn things from what this man wrote. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to look at four sections here. If you look at the way the psalms are divided, you'll see it has got these little breaks after a few of the verses, like after verse three. It has this little word in most translations that says, "sailar," which is kind of, let's have a little interlude and think about what we've just said. That's sort of purpose of that little comment there. And you'll find that that breaks the psalm into kind of four divisions. And I'm going to first look at the the psalmist's position in the first three verses, which speaks of something of his despair, really, with his current circumstances where he was at the time. And then we're going to look, secondly, at his questions in verse four to nine, where he's saying, "'Has God forgotten me? Does God not remember me anymore?' And then in verses uh, 10 to 15, we begin to see how he begins to reason with himself and speak to his feelings and to kind of turn around a little bit. And then finally, in the last section, verses 16 to 20, he recalls the power of God and how God has kept his people in the past and has always been there for them. So that's the kind of structure that we're going to look at. This psalm was probably written when when the children of Israel were exiles in Babylon. So it's around about the time of Jeremiah when they've had Nebuchadnezzar's invaded the land. The people of Jerusalem have been taken captive, taken off to Babylon, and, and they're living in exile. So they're living in a foreign country. They're living as slaves or servants. It's not a very pleasant existence. And there's this sense of uh, despair amongst them: Has God still with us? They knew they'd been taken out of their land because God had judged them. Um, has God kind of neglected them? Are, are they now in a wilderness forever, as it were? And this psalmist is this kind of picking up, I think, some of this feeling in those first few verses, which speak kind of a little bit of despair. I was in distress. I sought the Lord. I cried out for help. My soul refused to be comforted. Everything around him is kind of bad. Life is difficult. And for all of us, there are times when life gets difficult, when actually it's not going as well as we would like it to go. And that's the sort of circumstance he's in, and he's calling out to God, but he doesn't feel he's getting the answers he would like to get. So we're going to examine uh, a little bit of how that has uh, developed, as I said, at the beginning. So we're going to look first at his sort of feeling, really, in these first few verses, which was one of despair. He's facing difficulties. He was in distress. He was in trouble, or even deep trouble, as the New Living Translation puts it. This was a man who was finding life a hardship to, to exist in, when things weren't going well. And many of us go through times in life when actually it's just everything—you know—one thing goes wrong, then another does. It somehow, isn't it, how troubles don't seem to come on their own, do they? They come two or three at a time, and we find suddenly life—it seems to be all right—and suddenly it's got more difficult. So here's a man who's crying out, and you know his troubles are with him day and night. It isn't just they're with him momentarily. During the night, during the day, he wakes up, he can't get back to sleep because things are on his mind. That's where he is. And it says in these first few verses, in verses 1 to 3, that he calls out to God. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. I remembered you, it says in verse 3, and I groaned, I mused, my spirit grew faint. Because he's feeling that although he's calling out to God, seeking for help, he doesn't feel he's getting through. He feels that he's not communicating with God. He feels that actually God isn't really hearing him where he is. He doesn't feel that he's making that connection. And we can very easily get into that position where the psalmist desired God's presence, but he felt God's absence. He wanted to get through to God, but he didn't feel that he was near God. He felt far from God, maybe because of the circumstances around him, maybe just the way he was. He didn't feel near to God. Although he wanted God, he didn't feel he was near God. And we can be like that sometimes. We can be wanting to connect with God, but feel there's a kind of distance between us and God, a separation. Maybe we're concerned that God's bothered about what we've done. And we feel a separation. We feel far from God. And it's not unusual for people who can be quite spiritual people, people that you would look up to and say, well, there's a man of God. I'm sure they never get into this situation where they feel far from God, where they get kind of in despair or depressed by their feelings. But believe me, actually, that is a more common circumstance than perhaps we would give credit for. And certainly, some of the greatest Uh, teachers and preachers in the Christian church have suffered from that very uh, problem. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers in the 1800s, suffered from real bad depression. He went for days on end seriously depressed. He was a man who preached probably better than many other people who ever preached in the world, still regarded as one of the greatest preachers a man who had tremendous faith, a man who built an enormous church in London, a man who had colossal um, influence over the Christian church, and yet he suffered periods of severe depression when it was the job to sort of shake him into anything. Jonathan Edwards, a great uh, preacher from America, uh, who also knew a great revival, he saw many, many people saved, used to suffer periods of severe depression. Martin Luther who uh, was instrumental in the whole of the Reformation, also suffered from intense periods of depression. So bad was it that one day his wife Catherine, who had to sort of suffer alongside him when he was depressed, of course, um, came down in the morning uh, to breakfast dressed in black, as if she was in mourning for somebody who had died. And Luther uh, looked at her and said, "Um, well, what's going on? Um, Somebody must have died. And uh, he says, who has died? I have not heard of anyone who has died, said Luther. It seems, his wife replied, that God has died. Luther got the point. His depression was such that she said, you're acting as if God didn't exist. So I'm in mourning because God presumably doesn't exist if you don't think he does anymore. And we can get to a state where we really don't, feel we can connect with God we don't feel like he exists anymore so it's not uncommon and it can be a spiritual people that feel depressed and in despair because they allow their feelings very often to get on top of them so instead of comfort from God in these first few verses he feels fearful of God he begins to be worried about God he perhaps is troubled by a prevailing sin or something that he's done wrong and he is concerned about how he comes to God when we're aware of the awful purity and holiness of the God who we serve, and we look at who we are and what we've done, sometimes it's not difficult for us to think, well, why would God ever want to bother with me? And we find it difficult, don't we, to actually admit sometimes when we've done things wrong. Like a small child who quite often doesn't like to tell their parents that something's gone wrong because they're fearful what their parent, how their parents will react, we can be like that. Now, we know that the parents may well be cross with the child, but actually they still love the child. They're not going to kind of kick him out, are they? But as a small child, you, you've been playing around and something's happened that shouldn't have done, and you don't want to tell your parents, do you? I mean, all small children are the same, I believe. I have it on good authority for having once been a child. that That is what it's like. And I remember one occasion when I was uh, probably about 10 or 11, actually, and I, was, I used to go and help my grandfather, who had a china shop, <clears throat> And he lived in uh, Surrey, and they had this china shop, and I, I used to go and help him in it. Well, you know, it's pretty good if you're. a In a China shop, as a 10-year-old, you know, you've got to be quite careful how you behave, of course. And at the back of the shop, he had a very large warehouse where he used to store uh, his stock so that he didn't have it all in the shop. And if someone came in, they'd ask for something, and if he hadn't got it in the shop, then he used to go and fetch it from the store, which is one of the things I used to do and used to carry these tea sets and things into the shop because he used to stack a tea set up so the whole tea set was on one plate, and it's made a little sort of tower. Um, and uh, I can still do it today if you want me to show you. Uh, so we brought these tea sets in and I used to have to go out to the shop, out from the shop to collect these things and one day um, I think we must have been having a delivery and my grandfather had said could you go to the, the back of the warehouse and open the back doors so they can bring something in, so they can unload that and so he gave me the key and it had a, quite a nice big key, you know, it was a proper lock you know, big, not a digital thing a you know, big proper key and uh, on a piece of string so and I was walking through the the store like this, you see, swinging this key round because it swung really nicely on this bit of string. And as I was going along to, to open the back door, suddenly this key flew out of my hand. And, of course, guess where it landed? Straight on one of these piles of tea sets. And, of course, it broke it. And I was sitting there looking, oh, no. Well, I had a choice. Either I just pick up the key, carry on, open the back door and go back to my grandfather, or I pick up the key open the door, go back to my grandfather and say, uh, "Granddad, I'm very sorry, but uh, uh, I was doing this and the key flew out and I broke the china. I'm not going to tell you which I did. But you see, there's a great temptation, isn't there, not to own up. Because, you know, my granddad probably wouldn't have thrown me out, but you sort of feel, oh dear, you feel such a fool. Don't you? you don't want to admit you've done something wrong. And sometimes when we're before God, we feel we don't really want to admit We've done it wrong because we maybe we bothered that how God will react because we thought we, we perhaps we hoped we were better than that, and the psalmist here has perhaps fallen into some sort of depression as a result of it, and it's very easy for us to do the same sort of thing. Joe, I'm not quite sure whether to hear yet. Yeah, says this, but God stands alone, and who can oppose him? He does whatever he pleases. He carries out his decree against me and many such plans he still has in store. That is why I am terrified before him. When I think of all this, I fear him. God has made my heart faint. The Almighty has terrified me. Well, that was Job's experience. Well, Job had some really difficult tests to go through, didn't he? But he knew how powerful and kind of fearsome of God you could be. And we could end up like that. And if we're not careful, we can stay in that position. But the good news is that we don't need to. And sometimes perhaps our... Difficulties seem so incapable of a solution that we can see nowhere. Maybe we've got something that's gone wrong in life. We've got some grief, something that we're really struggling with. We find it very hard to see a way out of that. How do I get through? And often it is our feelings that will really affect us in those situations. Feelings are incredibly difficult for us to control. And so into the next section where we say in verses 4 to 9, Has God forgotten me? He cannot sleep. His troubles seem to be keeping him awake. Whatever the problem was, it continues day and night. And if you've got a problem, often you wake up in the night, then you can't get back to sleep. His grief is so great, he feels sometimes in verse 7 he can't speak about it. You know, it's too difficult to express. He's feeling the difficulty of his situation. He doesn't know how to explain it. He doesn't know quite what to do about it. And then in verse uh, 6 it says, he's kind of beginning to remember, I remember my songs in the night. Now he's remembering a time when it was good. I used to sing and it was great, but it's not like that anymore. He reminds himself what God is like. He starts to question himself and remind himself of who God is. Instead of being controlled by his feelings, he's beginning to try and apply some logic some reason back to his feelings and this is how we need to respond and so in verses 10 to 15 we read about how he begins to switch from just feelings that are telling him what to do to thinking about the situation and about who God really is it says there then I thought he starts to remind himself of what God is really like and he allows his reason to speak to his emotion and to bring him calm and composure. You are the God who works wonders. You display your power among the nations. God is a wonder-working God. He hasn't forgotten his people. He hasn't forgotten them. We can have confidence in them. He delivers us. So he starts to remind himself of what God is like, what God has done. I remember he appeals to the years of the right hand of the Most High, verse 10 There is a very strange verse, actually, and you'll find other translations translate it slightly differently. But basically, it's saying there uh, that he considers the years of the right hand of the Most High that those blessings of earlier times came from the power and the sovereign disposal of his right hand, who is over all. And this gives him confidence. God's right hand is powerful. It, it looked after him before. Well, why can't it look after him now? He's the God who was there before. He's the God who's there now. Okay, life might be very difficult in Babylon here. That doesn't mean God can't do something about it. God isn't there, which is what we might want to think. And so he starts to remind himself of what God is like. And he starts to think about that. And I want to ask you a question here, which you need to think about the answer to. Who is the most influential voice in your life? who is the person who influences you most? Because times like this, you need to hear the right influence. I want to read you something from a, uh, a book by a guy called Paul Tripp, who is writing about counselling, actually. And it's quite a long quotation, and I'm really worried that as I read this, half of you fall asleep. So I'm going to be doing my best to look at you so you don't fall asleep. But it's, trying to read is always difficult. You kind I of lose the contact with you. So it's, tricky but I want to get this across because I think he does it very very well what is he says the most influential voice in your life in the midst of all the voices that are vying for your attention and let's face it there are a lot there is one voice raised above all other voices that always has your attention always see if you don't recognize this voice from the following description of this voice I find myself saying it all the time. When people hear it, they laugh. But actually, I'm being quite serious when I say it. Here it is. No one, no one is more influential in your life than you are. Because no one talks to you more than you do. You are in an unending conversation with yourself. You are talking to yourself all the time interpreting, organizing, analyzing what's going on inside you and around you. You may be talking to yourself about why you feel so tired, or maybe you wake up this morning with a sense of dread and you are not sure why. Perhaps you are reliving a conversation that didn't go too well. Or maybe you are preparing yourself for a conversation that may be difficult by conjuring up as many renditions as you can imagine, so you can cover all the contingencies Maybe your mind has traveled back to the distant past and for reasons you don't understand you're recalling events from early childhood. The point is, the point is that you are constantly involved in an internal conversation that greatly influences the things you decide, say and do. What do you regularly tell yourself about yourself? About yourself, about God? and about your circumstances. Do your words to you encourage faith, hope, and courage? Or do they stimulate doubt, disagreement, and fear? Do you remind yourself that God is near? Or do you reason within yourself that given your circumstances, he must be distant? Do you encourage yourself to run to God, even when you don't understand what he's doing, Or do you give yourself permission to back away from him when you are confused by the seeming distance between what he's promised and what you are experiencing? When others talk to you, is your internal conversation so loud that it's hard to concentrate on what they are saying? Here's the question. How faith-driven and Christ-centred is the conversation that you have with you every day? No one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. You are in a conversation with yourself that never ceases. It began when you woke this morning. It will continue till you fall asleep this evening. It's actually taking place within you right now, even as I speak. Most of us don't consider this conversation as significant, but we are mistaken. This internal conversation has the most influence on your soul every day. It is the difference maker in your soul every day. You are more influenced by it than by anyone else, even by God or by his word. There's the direct link between this conversation and the state of your soul each and every day. So, who are you listening to? We listen to ourselves. We listen to ourselves all the time. What we have to do is to kind of turn it around and talk back to ourselves sometimes. Recognise that actually our feelings are telling us what to do and our mind needs to tell our feelings what we should be doing sometimes. Not just let the feelings direct us in every direction. We need to start applying truth to our situation. We need to be reminding ourselves of the reality of our situation. We need to remind ourselves of the promises that God has made to us. We need to remind ourselves of the past experience that we've had of God. We need to remind ourselves that God is with us. That He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That there's no situation that we can be in that God cannot be with us in and cannot see us through, however difficult it may seem. We need to say, Lord, I know that you are with me. I know it looks difficult. I know I'm finding this hard, but I know that you are with me. We need to keep God, as it were, in our mind not on our side, rather than just letting how we feel dictate where we go. And that's something we have to keep learning to do. We need to remember who has saved us, who is with us, who is for us. It says, "If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We need to remind ourselves that the promises of God apply to our present circumstances. It's so important that we learn how to talk to ourselves. Lloyd-Jones put it like this, I say that we must talk to ourselves instead of allowing ourselves to talk to us. I suggest that the whole trouble of spiritual depression, in a sense, is we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. Take those thoughts that come to you in the moment you wake up. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who is talking? Yourself is talking to you. Now, the psalmist here has been letting his feelings talk to him. And then, as we get towards the end here, he allows his, the reality of who God is to talk to him. He, he takes hold of truth and he says, this is truth, this is what I need to do here, this is, this is the God I, I, who's, who's with me, the God who delivered me, the God who's in control of the heavens, the God who has charge over the, over the clouds and the rain and the weather, the God who, who can do what he likes. The God who's allowed us to be taken into exile because he put judgment on us. But he's the God who is still with us. And we as Christians can say, we have one who will never leave us or forsake us. Who holds us in his hands. Not not only is our God all powerful, but he's promised to be with us and to watch over us individually. So when we are in our difficult circumstances, we say, yeah, but God is with me. He has not abandoned me here. His word tells me he is with me. I will tell myself, God is with me. And I will believe that's where I am. The one who smote Egypt, as it talks about at the end of this uh, psalm, is the one who is also the shepherd of Israel. The God of judgment is also the God of mercy. It says, he who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out, drive away or reject. He is the one who gives peace that passes understanding. He says in John 14, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. We need to say, Lord, that's what you said to me. You said you give me peace. I claim your peace now. I speak to my difficult son and say, Lord, I have peace here because of you. And in Philippians 4 it says, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Jeremiah was exiled into Babylon along with a guy who wrote the psalm. And he saw many of his prophecies fulfilled, which were pretty bad news, really, uh, because Israel hadn't responded to them and hadn't turned to God. So they were invaded and they got taken into exile. And Jeremiah went with them. He was part of it. And when he was there, he also wrote the book called Lamentations, where he really was in difficult circumstances, a bit like the psalmist, and he, he's kind of finding life difficult. And he says in uh, Lamentations chapter 3, verse 17, Peace has been stripped away, and I have forgotten what prosperity is. I cry out, my splendour is gone. Everything I'd hoped for from the Lord is lost. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet, I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for Father, I thank you that we have an amazing God who is a God of judgment. He is a God who is all-powerful, but is also a God of love and of mercy and has been so gracious as to reveal that to us. And I thank you that you are with us through every circumstance of life. I thank you that you are with us in the good times and the bad times. And I pray you'll help us, Lord, when our feelings are driving us, and when the situation is difficult and life is hard, that we'll remember the God who is with us and who is for us and who will uphold us by his mighty hand. We pray, Lord, help us to learn how to talk to ourselves and stop listening so much to ourselves. Amen. Amen. Amen.